From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official health care provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. In a week where college football fans had one more chance to bite their nails before a long offseason, the Gators had a thrilling finish of their own against Missouri before cruising to a more comfortable win back in Gainesville against Mississippi State. We'll talk some serious hoops today with redshirt junior guard Jalen Hudson and as part of our roundtable discussion with FloridaGators.com senior writers Chris Harry and Scott Carter. To get things started, let's learn more about one of the two transfers making a huge impact for the Orange and Blue. Jalen Hudson has emerged from his years sitting out to lead the Gators in scoring and thrill the Rowdy Reptiles with a shooting stroke as pure as any. But it wasn't an easy road for Hudson to get here, and he began our conversation by explaining the difficult decisions he had to make earlier in his life just to get to this point. So my parents were together when I was five years old. Um, we had a house in Shore Pump area of uh, Richmond, Virginia. They got divorced, and uh, I kind of had like to pick who I wanted to live with. And uh, I decided to live with my mom because at that time we were a little bit closer. So I decided to stay in Richmond, Virginia um, for the first part of like my basketball career. Stayed in Richmond, Virginia until I was about 16. It was uh, me and my youngest sister, Brianna Hudson. We, It was me, Bree, and my mom. We stayed in uh, Richmond, Virginia for about like another 11 years after the divorce. And then um, came to a point where I was, uh, we had some a little bit of family issues. So I had to uh, kind of pack up my things kind of quickly and uh, go to live up uh, in Ohio with my dad. He moved there probably about a year or so after the divorce. Uh, he had took a job up there. So he went all the way up there, like 500 miles away. And uh, so I had been up there once before, like to visit him or whatever. And I was looking for places to play basketball at. And um I came across a couple guys at the YMCA. Like my dad had bought me a YMCA pass when I was, I think I was in like the eighth grade, just going up there to visit him um, for the summer. And so I had met some guys that played at uh, St. Vincent, St. Mary at the YMCA. They, they were just there for obviously for fun, for, for basketball reasons, you know what I mean? To get some running, get some sweating. Mm-hmm. So they liked my game or whatever. And they were like, like, we actually need extra players like to run for our team open gym. Like we, we wouldn't mind you coming up there and running with us for the team. And so that's how I kind of met Coach Drew Joyce, the head coach at St. Vincent St. Mary. And then later in life, two, three years later down the road, um, Coach Drew Joyce, he remembered me from uh, the open gym a long time ago. And uh, it was a, it was a possibility for me to get into St. Vincent St. Mary once I uh, moved from Richmond, Virginia for family issues. So it kind of worked out pretty well. They were able to get me in. My dad uh, just so happened to live like less than two miles away from St. Vincent St. Mary. So it was a close to school. Also, like private or public, and I had a former relationship with with the head coach of St. Vincent St. Mary, so that's how I ended up there. And then uh, out of St. Vincent St. Mary, I decided to go back to Virginia. I wanted to get back home, kind of had to leave um, Virginia faster than I wanted to. You know, I mean, I had developed a lot of relationships and stuff and Mm -hmm. coaches and people. So kind of wanted to get back to Virginia, even though it was a a bunch of people recruiting me. So decided to go to Virginia Tech, got to St. Vincent St. Mary, and uh, had a coaching change right as I signed. The coach I signed to, James Johnson, he got fired. And so I was kind of stuck. I had to sign my national letter of intent. So I decided to stick it out. Like I could have, I could have got out of the national letter of intent and gone to another school. Mm-hmm. 
the two schools that I really wanted to go to were University of Virginia and Virginia Tech, and they're both in the ACC. So I was kind of stuck. Even if I would have got out of the National Letter of Intent, right? I wanted to stay in Virginia. So I was like, I might as well stick it out, see how this new coach is. Like I didn't have any relationship with him or anything, so just wanted to stick it out. And then, uh, as we know, it didn't go exactly how I wanted to. So I decided to make another move, and then I landed at this great place here, University of Florida. Probably the best decision of my life. A lot of great things, not just acad- I mean, not just athletics, but also in academics. And so that's kind of how it end- how it ended up here, right now, where I am today. Yeah, and, and you've obviously gone through some changes. You've had to pick up and leave in the middle of, of multiple careers, your high school career and your, your college career. Going back to high school, how tough was that? Because, you know, obviously when you do that in college, you're a little bit more mature. You've been through more experiences. When you're 15 years old and you pick up and you move to a new place and you go to a new school, how challenging was that for you? Oh, uh, man, that was so. That was probably one of the hardest things that I had to do at such a young age. You know what I mean? Obviously, the divorce was pretty hard, but I was five years old, so, like, the emotions weren't completely set in. But um, having to pick up my stuff one summer, you know what I mean, and completely move to Akron, Ohio, uh, leaving all my past relationships, friends, family, all that, everything, even my sister, it was kind of it was, it was pretty difficult. You know what I mean? It's one of the hardest things I've done uh, in my life, actually, altogether. I was moving to a state where... I literally knew no one, like not, not one single person except for my dad. So it was pretty hard, um, but people were very accepting, you know, of me, even the people at the school, the teachers, everything like that. So it, it transitioned pretty smooth, but it was it was hard. It was it's different when you go to a complete state. And I mean, you're used to having fun, you know, what I mean, um, kicking it with your your friends that you, you've grown up with. So I had to find some new hobbies and do some new things. You know, what I mean, once I moved up there, you know, what I mean, so it, it was pretty hard, but I definitely grew from it, became a better person from it. So when you made the decision to come to Florida, where did that come from? Can you tell us about the courtship and, and also the role that Dorian Finney-Smith played in that process? So when I decided to leave Virginia Tech, um, I was kind of blessed because I, I don't know how exactly it got out there. But as soon as I was leaving the head coach's office, um, I was already getting text messages and stuff. So I don't know exactly how it got all the way out there still. Um, ESPN was came aware of it and uh, a bunch of schools started reaching out. I really had no idea where I wanted to go. I had no interest. Like it was kind of like going through the whole recruiting process all over again. Um, once Florida reached out, um, I had a past relationship with uh, Jordan Mincy here at the University of Florida. He had recruited me uh, my freshman year at Benedictine. So I kind of remembered him because he's from Tennessee. So he kind of has a, uh, a interesting uh, language that they speak. Um, <laughs> I, I remembered him very well. You know, I mean, we had a bunch of conversations he was at a different school. And so I kind of remembered him and we had developed a little bit of a relationship. And so uh, he kind of they kind of had my favor early. You know what I mean? Just because I knew him and I wanted to go somewhere. I knew my next place. I wanted to go somewhere where I was comfortable, really comfortable with the coaches. And they knew me. They knew what kind of guy I was and what kind of person I was. I feel like I could I could trust everybody on the coaching staff. And so I started asking him a bunch of questions and stuff like that about Coach White, because I didn't really have a, a relationship with Coach White at all. He was at, obviously, Louisiana Tech while I was at Virginia Tech and coming out of high school. So it was a little bit different. But once I met him and I, everything that I heard about him, I asked a lot of people. Um, I actually knew Devin Robinson. He's from Richmond, Virginia as well. So I had a little bit of an inside source on um, Coach White and the coaching staff and everything like that. So I was just asking honest questions. And, you know what I mean? So that's kind of how I uh, gained trust in the University of Florida. The only other school... That I was, uh, I had a bunch of schools, but the only other school that I really was thinking about going and trusting was uh, University of Texas. Um, 
obviously I'm from Richmond, Virginia. Uh, Shaka Smart was at VCU, mm-hmm. which is in the heart of Richmond. So I, I had super, super close relationship with him. Uh, he was recruiting me when I was in the eighth grade. And so I had known him for a really long time. But um, circumstances obviously made me do Florida over over Texas. I don't know. I just kind of felt like Florida was right. You know what I mean? I, I had knew a bunch of people here already. I didn't know anybody at Texas. Um, my gut feeling just told me to come here. Also, Dorian Finney-Smith, when I came here on my visit, I had talked to him. Um, I guess he, he had known a little bit about me um, just because Virginia is not super huge, not like Texas or anything. So you kind of know some of the some of the better players, even if they're younger or whatever, coming out of your state. So I, he had known a little bit about me. I, I had known a lot about him. I know he went to Virginia Tech. And so I'd asked him about the transition, asked him what he liked, what he thought was a good move overall. And he had nothing but positive things to say about uh, both coaching staffs that he went under. He loved Florida as a whole. You know what I mean? Gave him opportunity, obviously, to play at the highest level. You know what I mean? Academics, he graduated from here. I just felt like a lot of this stuff, like, just led me here. Like, everything that I heard, I felt like it was a pretty easy decision the second time around when I had to pick a school. So that's kind of how I landed up here. It was a bunch of people that played a role with me being here. So when you make that decision, you know that part of it is you're going to have to sit out for a year. Given the kind of high-impact score that you are, how difficult was it last season not being able to play, and, and how did you ultimately get through that? Yeah, it was pretty It was pretty rough. I knew I could help in a bunch of ways, uh, not only scoring, but a bunch of other ways as well. And so it was kind of tough, you know what I mean, going through all the practices, doing all the stuff over the summer, the strongman, the extra lifts, the sprints, the conditioning. It was pretty tough because in the back of your mind, at the end of the day, you know that you're not going to be able to play. So it's definitely a little bit harder to be motivated every day when, you know, at the end of the day, when it's time to get under the lights, you're going to have your jumpsuit on. You know what I mean? You're not going to be playing. So it was, it was definitely hard. But I'd say after the first, I'd say, month or so, like it really set in for me that, like, I, I need to use this year to actually get better. I don't want to, like, you know what I mean, sit around and, you know what I mean, just let the time go by. Like, I have the time. Like, they give me set time. And I can't play, so I might as well put in the work. So I, I just kind of set, like, many goals throughout the year and uh, try to get in the gym as much as I could. I spent a lot of time with Preston Green, uh, probably a little bit more time than I wanted to. Um, <laughs> but he definitely um, changed my whole body, had me feeling good from literally the time that I've, I've got here. Feel super athletic, quick, fast, all that strong. So I definitely just tried to use the time to benefit for next year, for everything that was to come. So... That's kind of how I made it through. I just set many goals, and so that kind of gave me something to strive towards. Well, it's also a chance to learn, and I've heard you talk about specifically some of the things that you learned from your teammates, a couple of them guys that aren't on the team anymore. So can you talk specifically about what you learned from a Justin Leon, from a Casey Hill, and also from Chris Chioza? Yeah, I learned a lot from those guys. I, I don't want to like put one thing on each of them, but there's there's like – I would say there's one specific thing that I learned from all those guys. Um, I'll start with Casey. I, I feel like I was really close with him um, as soon as I got here. And one of the things I learned from him is honestly to to compete um, every day. It didn't matter what kind of day it was. It didn't matter where we were. Like, you know what I mean? He was going to compete, and he brought it every day. And um, I kind of like that fire that he played with and that he installed into other people. So that was one of the things he was really good at. And um, that's part of the reason why I think we were we – were, they were so good. We were so good last year. Um, I don't want to say they. I mean, I was obviously a part of the team, but right. I didn't play. But um, that was one of the reasons they were so good. Like, he was a, was the a spark every day. Even if y'all didn't see it in the game, he was the spark every day in practice. 
that got people going. I don't even know the fire that continued to light, you know what I mean? So I, I kind of took that from him. It can just be one guy, you know what I mean, that gets everybody going. That's kind of one thing that I learned from him is just to compete, to play with fire, play every year like it's your last. Like, I didn't see him. I didn't know him before I got here. But from what I've heard, you know what I mean, he, he approached his last year completely different than he did the other three years. Mm-hmm. So I only saw the last year. So I wanted to, you know what I mean, put that in, into myself to play every year like your last year, you know what I mean? So that's one of the things I took from Casey Hill. Um, Justin Leon, he just came to work every day. He listened to everything. He was kind of a, a team guy. He didn't. He put all his, his goals aside. And at the end of the day, you know what I mean? It all worked out for him. Basketball is kind of unique because it's an extreme team sport. You can't have five guys out there trying to, you know what I mean, get 30 points a game or even you know, 100 shots or even 15 rebounds a game. Like only one person can get a rebound every time it goes up. And so he he was kind of the glue guy. You know what I mean? He had games where he, he went completely off. Just him showing up to work every day, having a great attitude, playing extremely hard, having no conscience for his body, diving on the floor, you know, and not really saying too much. You know what I mean? Like, the way he carried himself, I, lo- I, lo- I like the way he carried himself. People know he was going to bring it every day, like sick or not, it didn't matter. So I just like the the hard hat that he wore every day. He was just all for the guys. So I wanted to be like that as well. Like, you know what I mean? I wanted to have a, a calm demeanor. You know what I mean? I wanted to do the right things and I wanted to be super accountable. I feel like he was one of the, the more accountable guys we had on the team last year. So I wanted to bring some of that into my game as well, as well as the physicality that he brought. Lastly, Chris Chioza, my guy right now. Um, <laughs> He's everybody's guy right now, right? <laughs> no, I mean, I didn't mean to say right now. I mean to say like <laughs> we just got closer. We just got closer over, over the last year. You know, what I, mean? As I got became, you. Stuff like that. We became super close. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously he's everybody's guy right now. So super likable guy. But uh, just the poise that he plays with, how relaxed he is. You know what I mean? And how smart he's like five plays ahead of everybody during the game. Like you know what I mean? And I just wanted to be able to, to learn from that, you know what I mean, what he sees and what he's thinking about during the game. I was obviously able to play with him and a little bit against because last year he was uh, more so a part of the second team, even though he did start a bunch of games. So in practice, I'll be playing with him a lot just because I wasn't going to be able to play. So I was always practicing with the second team, even though Coach White does a really good job of mixing it up so that we compete every day. More so, I was learning from Chris Chioza a lot last year uh, about how to handle different situations, adversity, you know what I mean, stay poised, and just to try to be a, ahead of people. Like, he obviously thinks the game very, very thoroughly. Obviously, the plays that he makes, you can tell that he's so far ahead of people mentally. Also, I just wanted to take that and also, like, the the fight that he brings, too. Like, like he's always, you know what I mean, in the mix. Like, if you look at whatever, whatever the play is, you know, wherever the play is on the floor, like, he's always in the mix, whether it be a rebound, or the ball's going out, he's about to save it. So always a few steps ahead of the people. And I wanted to think the game faster like he did. And so kind of been learning that even now. Still trying to catch up to him. Obviously, he's like, I'd say one of the best point guards in the nation right now. So sure. I, I just learned, you know what I mean, more mentally, more IQ stuff from, from Chris Tioza, um than anything. Especially on, like, the way he passes it and the way he finishes and stuff like that. Like, you can tell that he's, he's so far ahead mentally. So I just, that's one of the things I wanted to take from, from Chris Tioza this year and last year. Joe, one of the things I want to ask you about before we go is uh, your connection to LeBron. I know a, a lot of people say, oh, LeBron James is my favorite player. I, I want to play like him. But your connection to him is, is a little more personal than that. Can you tell us about that? I've, I've met him probably like five or six times. Um, obviously, I went to his high school. He came around a bunch. He came to a bunch of games, came to a bunch of practices. Um, he knows who I am. One of my good friends is uh, David Lane. He works out. Both of his sons, 
he asks uh, David Lane about me once and, and tells him good game. Like I don't have I don't have LeBron's number or anything. <laughs> that that's you know, next level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that, I, he's pretty personal. I'm pretty sure he has probably had like five or six phones or whatever. But uh, <laughs> like whenever I see him, like yeah, I mean he knows who I am. That I don't have a like an extreme close relationship with him. Um, but I met him a few times. He remembers me. You know, what I mean he asks um, the people that he's close with about me sometimes. And uh, after the Phil Knight tournament. Um, I texted David Lane and I was like, yeah, tell LeBron, like, I, like my team said, thank you for the shoes or whatever. And, uh, he was like, yeah, man, tell Jay, do his thing, like stuff like that. You know what I mean? Out there. He's like, no problem about the shoes, man. Like put in the work, stuff like that. And so yeah, like, he knows who I am. But, like we, we talk kind of like through another person, you know what I mean? He's very, I wouldn't say secretive, but he's kind of like low key about like everything, sure. social media and everything like that. So I don't have his number or anything, but we do. Obviously I know who he is, but he knows who I am as well. <laughs> That's pretty much it. That's all. That's all that is there. Uh, Joe, and final thing for you, as far as your game goes, and as you continue through the SEC, what are you most focused on personally? What are what individually are you really working on in terms of your game? That's a tough question. Um, honestly, there's a bunch of things. I'd say I'm doing a, a few things good right now, but I feel like there's there's more. Obviously, more things that I need to work on. The things that I'm good at. Um, but honestly, I just want to win. That's what them guys put last year. That's one of the things I learned from everybody last year. They all kind of put their their personal goals aside and just do every game. It takes every game to win. You know, what I mean, uh, at the end of the day, like you're gonna win. You're gonna you're gonna remember more the wins and the excitement. You know what I mean, and the records rather than personal goals or, or the last second shot that you hit. Like, yeah, that stuff's cool and everything, but winning and and bringing shiny things back is more important. You know I mean? So. That's what I, I really am just focused on every game. And just, I feel like we can compete with anybody in the country. I don't know. I, I, I don't even want to say anything personal. I really just want to just want to win. That's so important. That's all we all came here to do. So, Well, you guys have done a lot of winning lately, and we certainly wish you a lot of luck as you continue doing that in the SEC. Jalen, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate it. Oh, no, no problem. I appreciate you. Chris Chioza is quickly becoming the new Chandler Parsons, given his knack for hitting buzzer beaters, from the legendary three in the Sweet 16 at Madison Square Garden to his latest piece of wizardry at Missouri. The Gators' most recent win was on Wednesday against Mississippi State, but we begin our roundtable with Kristen Scott by discussing the latest chapter in the Book of Cheese. If you go back and look at the replays and like break down and maybe freeze frame that Missouri game on your computer or on your TV or whatever. When Jordan Geist is the point guard for, or has the ball rather for Missouri on that play. And when he makes the decision that he's passing the ball to uh, Cassius Robertson at the near, near the top of the key, Chris Gioza is probably 12 to 14 feet away from the play. And for him to make a break on that is something like as Deion Sanders. Like you have, you have to anticipate the pass. That's that's one thing. That's that's probably the easy part. The next part is getting there in that fraction of a second. And it's uh, he's making the decision and he's making the play in a fraction of a second. And I think it was comical after the game. There were some people saying he didn't know if he could get the length of the floor in, in those three seconds. Uh, I know Mike White uh, wasn't wondering if he could make a, a, the length of the floor. He said he looked up at the clock and saw there was there was time for him to get there. But considering there was three and a half seconds left and against Wisconsin last year, Madison Square Garden, he went the length of the floor in, in four seconds to to make that a uh, memorable shot so again I, I i don't know if it's necessarily that he's made for these kind of circumstances but he certainly makes big plays down the stretch and he doesn't get rattled he knows he can make these kind of plays 
he's the best player on the team. Going in the season, you probably wouldn't have said that. I wrote at the time this was going to be his team, no question about it. That has certainly come to fruition, but he's taken on a much bigger and much more valuable kind of mantle um, with this basketball program right now. You know, I was watching the SEC Network after uh, their win over Mississippi State, and Jimmy Dykes, the uh, analyst, was saying that he thinks Chose is the best point guard in the SEC. I can't argue with that. Maybe not the most talented, but he just, you know, this is kind of what you expect out of a senior, a guy who's made those big plays. And, you know, your question is, you know, is he built for – I just think those those type of players, Adam, they kind of create those plays. That's why they're viewed as, uh, you know, one of the best in the league. And uh, we've seen it before, so nothing will really surprise me from here on out what he does. I'm like, Chris, I man, I think he's the best guy on the team. He's, he's kind of like the heartbeat of the team. Uh, you know, they go the way he goes. And uh, if they're going to go far in the tournament, exactly like last year, he's going to be the guy who will be directing everything and uh, be making some more of those plays and uh, can't really overemphasize the importance he is to this team. Yeah. And I'm going to go even bigger picture than that. And Scott and I were around four years ago when he got here. And, uh, you know, Chris Chioza was a smaller kid, obviously hadn't been in the weight room with Preston Green yet. He was he was a hot shot uh, point guard out of Memphis, probably a top 40 or 50 kid, uh, maybe top 60. I'm not sure. But I mean, this is he's a poster child for the Florida basketball program, which you know, by and large is a four year venture. And it's a development. He's a developmental guy. I mean, I, I look back, I remember Texas A&M game um, his freshman year. And the Aggies, Florida had a big lead. The Aggies kept fouling Chris Chioza because he was a, get this, he was a 47% free throw shooter as a freshman. Hmm. And they kept fouling him and sending him at the line. And there was a timeout. And Billy Donovan screaming at him. And there's, I can't use every word he was saying, but he's saying, I hope they keep fouling you and putting <laughs> you in this position so you have to go make a free throw. And, I mean, this is all part of the process. I, someone tweeted at me. Uh, after the Missouri game, it was a Kentucky fan. It's great play by ninth-year senior Chris Chioza. He's been there forever. Well, you know, he hadn't been there forever. He's been there for four years. He came to college to get a degree and play basketball for four years. And for Kentucky fan, seeing a four-year, a fourth-year senior is like seeing Bigfoot. So uh, this is he's he is a developmental player who's become a great player who's become, like Scott said, like Jimmy Dykes referenced, the best point guard in the Southeastern Conference. I'm sure that. Before the season's out, uh, Colin Sexton will be in that conversation. But in terms of value to his team, Chris Chioza is the straw that stirs the drink right now for this program. Well, and looking bigger picture at what he's helping do, he's helping lead a team that's won six games in a row now. They're undefeated in the SEC, the only team that's done that. And I know, Chris, the biggest reason for that is, or at least Mike White would tell you, it's more about the defense. So can you talk about the way that the defense has come along and what improvements you've seen recently? Yeah, um, Everyone remembers how Florida played in the uh, PK-80 in Oregon and how um, and how close they were to beating Duke. And I maintain that Florida's fifth in the country at that time. Had they won that game, I think they would have jumped to number one and jumped over Michigan State because at that time Duke had beaten Michigan State for their only loss. I think they would have jumped from number one. And then that collapse over the next couple of weeks would have been all the more pronounced. Well, Mike White left Oregon thinking, yeah, that was a lot of fun making all their shots, but this way we're we're guarding right now is not sustainable going the rest of the season. So he made a concerted effort to maybe pull back a little offensively and emphasize the defensive side of the of the floor. And the biggest difference I think over the last couple of weeks is what's happened in the front court with Kavarius Hayes and with Keystone. Uh, let's start with Hayes. I mean, this is the Hayes that we that we've seen the last couple of years. 
the guy who runs up and down the floor, the guy who comes with help side defense. There was one sequence against Mississippi State, Adam. He, he blocked three shots over the course of five possessions. And it was all during that time where uh, Mississippi State, I think, missed nine straight field goals and Florida kind of built up their lead and kind of pulled away in that game. Keystone has been a, a decent defensive player from his base because he's 6'8", he's 240, he can hold his ground somewhat. He's just He just gets a little lost sometimes, just like Kavarius Hayes' weaknesses. Maybe he takes the bait on uh, on head fakes sometimes. These guys are becoming more disciplined in their weaknesses. And by playing well defensively, the game is coming to them better offensively. I mean, Hayes uh, against Mississippi State, this is a typical Kavarius Hayes line. Six points, seven rebounds, three block shots, two steals, 28 minutes. Last week at Mississippi State, I think he averaged, like he was eight and seven, three blocks. And he had a career-high four assists in one game, a career-high four steals in another game. So it's coming together in the front court. It's not a finished product yet because, as I like to tell people, you don't know what this team's going to be in a couple of weeks because Johnny Boone is on the horizon right now. But what they're doing right now, yeah, six-game winning streak, it's all rooted in defense. It wasn't pretty getting there because the wins just before Christmas, James Madison, Incarnate Word, even the Vanderbilt win, uh, were, were not pretty on either end of, of the floor, but they certainly have picked up their pace uh, the last week in the, in the three wins um, since that. And this is what they're going to have to do is they keep going on because um, the Southeastern Conference is, uh, is pretty stacked right now, and uh, they're kind of cannibalizing each other. Florida's just maintaining, staying at the top of the standings at 4-0. We talked to Jalen Hudson on today's show, and he really is such a thoughtful guy who clearly cares so much about being a great teammate and growing with this group. Chris, can you just talk about the way you've seen him integrate himself into the team from the time he got here up until now, where he's become the, the team's leading scorer? Yeah, well, he uh, he was on the scout team all last season as he was sitting out after transferring from Virginia Tech per NCAA rules, and uh, obviously you saw uh, what he could do offensively. There were games he just there were practices where he just took things over, and you kind of wondered at the time, okay, well, we're seeing a lot of things going on on the perimeter. Are there enough balls for everybody and uh, He's never going to be, I don't think, a great defensive player, but he's got, he has gotten a lot better and he has been a lot more committed to it. But I don't know where would the Gators be right now uh, if Jalen Hudson wasn't being more assertive and being more aggressive offensively. He's leading the team in scoring. He's shooting a tremendous percentage from the three point line. And as far as a teammate, yeah, he's become a great teammate. And I think it's kind of cool. You think about the, he lives off campus. He lives with Chioza, with Igor and with Johnny Bunu. And uh, that must be a fun apartment, I think, for those guys. But those are, those are four prominent players on this team, and that's probably really helped with chemistry. Um, when you think about it, I mean, Igor just moved here uh, right before the season started. So that's probably kind of helped. And he, he is a very likable guy. He's a good student, and he had some pedigree when he got here. And obviously he's shown an, an ability to, uh, to hit some big shots and be a, be a big player in the Southeastern Conference. Moving things over to football, Scott, we've talked week after week about the staff and the additions as they've come together slowly. Uh, it is now complete. The staff has been finalized, and also positions have been announced for the assistant coaches as well. So can you tell us about the latest and final additions to the staff and also the way that this, this whole thing is shaken out? Yeah, uh, Dan Mullen, he's announced uh, this week that Ron English, you know, a guy who was head coach at Eastern Michigan, uh, been 20 years at the FBS level. I mean, he's been around the block, to, so to speak. He's going to come in and coach safeties. Uh, starting uh, this week, you know, uh, FBS programs could hire a 10th assistant coach. So, uh, obviously, the Gators didn't waste too much time there uh, adding English. And uh, 
It rounds out the staff, Adam, and this is a little bit of a side note to that. This is the first time since 2014 Florida actually has a complete coaching staff before National Signing Day, which is still a few weeks away. So, you know, although it was a little different this year with the early uh, signing period, uh, they still have some work to do leading up to the uh, early February National Signing Day and having uh, all your staff on board and able to get there out there on the road. It's obviously an advantage for Dan Mullen and his staff, and uh, they'll go try to wrap up some players uh, to finish off his first recruiting class. But you look at the staff he's put together, obviously the, the veteran, there's two real veterans of this group, South and Sari, the defensive line. This guy's been around since the early 80s on the NFL and college level. Todd Grantham, another veteran coach. A lot of Gator fans are going to remember him as the coordinator at Georgia. But those two guys uh, both have coached college and NFL. Uh, both defensive coaches, uh, so he brings a lot of experience there. Uh, and a couple of the other additions since we last talked, Greg Knox, who, uh, you know, he took over Mississippi State after Mullen came here and finished his tenure out there and led uh, the Bulldogs to win uh, over Louisville in the tax slayer combo over in Jacksonville. He comes here to coach running backs and special teams coordinator. And Christian Robinson, I don't know if you got a chance to check out this site this week, but he, uh, he's a former linebacker who just played against the Gators in 2012 uh, for Georgia. Uh, so he's at 27, the youngest guy on the staff. He's going to coach linebackers. Uh, so it's a really a mix of, you know, you're, I'm just went down a list there. You got a guy who's 27 who just finished playing. And then you got South and Sari who, uh, you know, he's, he's coached some great players at all levels throughout his career. Yeah. So it's just an interesting mix. And the one coach that Mullen did keep on staff, uh, from Jim McElwain's days was Jawan Sider, who he's going to move over from running backs to coach tight ends, but he had a huge impact on helping the Gators secure some good players in, in December during that early signing period. And, and he, he was only here for one year with McElwain, and, you know, he really did a good job with the running backs last year. He's a good recruiter, uh, so I think it's a smart move there to keep him around. As far as the, the play-calling aspect, people certainly know Dan Mullen calls a lot of his own plays, but he also has – multiple offensive coordinators uh, as part of this staff. Now, can you talk about that dynamic as we know it today? Yeah, I mean, it's really going to be very similar to what they did at Mississippi State, Adam. Uh, Billy Gonzalez and John Hevesy, they're co-offensive coordinators. Gonzalez is also coaching receivers. Hevesy is the offensive line coach. Uh, those guys have been with Dan Mullen for quite a while. You remember they were on Urban Meyer's staff when Dan Mullen was here. So they're on the same page. Uh, yeah, Dan Mullen does like to call a lot of his own plays, but you can bet it's kind of a team operation there with those three. They play off each other, uh, but they're officially co-coordinators. So he hasn't really broken down the dynamics of game day, how that's going to work yet. But like I said, I'm sure if you look at what they've done in the past, all three guys have had uh, different responsibilities and uh, have a voice in the game plan, and uh, I would expect that to continue here. But that's that's the way it's set up. And then, of course, we brought Brian Johnson as quarterbacks coach. You know, Mullen's got a reputation as being a good quarterbacks coach, too, which he was here at Florida his first go-around. He coached the quarterbacks and was offense coordinator. He's turned those duties over to Brian Johnson, uh, you know, quarterbacks coach. So, uh, again, just a, a pretty versatile, uh, versatile staff and, uh, you broke it down in a lot of different ways. You know, you got a quarterback's coach, Charlton Warren. You got a safeties coach. You got a linebacker's coach. You got a defensive line coach. So it's more, uh, 
hyper focused, I guess, if you will, the way he's assigned the uh, duties. Let's switch gears now drastically and, and talk some gymnastics, a sport we have not discussed yet this year. They just got their season underway a week ago, uh, and now they're having their their first home meet. And there's always a lot of excitement. If you've never been to a Gator gymnastics meet, it's about as rowdy as you'll probably ever see Exact Tech Arena, and that takes place on Friday night. Yeah, you know, LSU comes to town. Yeah, the sport is a lot different than football, but you know, when LSU and Gators get together gymnastics, these two teams just don't like each other. I don't know if you uh, recall, but last uh, spring in St. Louis at the Super 6, Oklahoma won the national title, but I mean, the national runner-up between Florida and LSU, LSU edged them by the narrowest of margin. There was a video that went viral on social media of uh, one of the LSU gymnasts saying they beat Florida, and she added a, a colorful adjective uh, in front of Florida. It starts with the same letter as the, as the state of Florida. Too. <laughs> yeah, it, it does. And it yeah. kind of riled up the Gator fans and the, obviously added just another little twist to this rivalry. But uh, as you mentioned, the Gators opened the season with the win at West Virginia. Uh, both of these programs, uh, they're right there at the top of the SEC. One of them will likely win the SEC title there this year or is favored and uh, so it's a chance for the home fans to come out. And this is a Florida team that they're very familiar with. Uh, Alex McMurtry, Kennedy Baker. Uh, these are names that were here last year. They're back. There's a freshman that people are going to want to watch. Elisa Bowman, uh, another Olympic-level type gymnast uh, that we've seen in this program in recent years. Uh, it's going to be her first home meet. She was injured last year and un- uh, unavailable to compete. And and if I might add, uh, Scott referenced Alex McMurtry. I mean, she's a she's the Honda Award winner from last year, and she's she's easily one of the best athletes that's been on this campus since I've been here. I mean, you think about it, she was a freshman on those uh, those Florida teams that had Keetra Hunter, that had Bridget Sloan, mm-hmm. and those were Honda Award winners all on the same team. And she she is just. Uh, a, a joy to watch on whether it's the floor exercises on the beam. She's a clutch performer and just uh, what a big senior year everyone's expecting um, from her for sure. Yeah, Alex McBurtry is a uh, prime time performer. I don't know if she is a hundred billion dollar performer, but uh, as part of our PAT, let's talk about the hundred million dollar man. That is John Gruden, who I know, Chris, at the very least, you spent a lot of time around back in the day. So the question I have for you guys is, John Gruden, 10 years, $100 million to the Raiders. Number one, is he worth that kind of money? And number two, is this even a good idea for someone who's been out of coaching for over a decade? All right. Well, first of all, $100 million, no, he's probably not worth it. But at the same time, uh, the market sets itself and they're willing to pay John Gruden $100 million. So the reason you think Raider Nation and you see those... uh, grotesque uh, costumes and stuff in the end zone when you see Raider. That's that's because of him. That's Chucky from that time in the late 90s when he had that thing going up there uh, in the early 2000s uh, before the Buccaneers saw what Oakland had and traded two number one draft picks, two number two draft picks, and $8 million to lure him across country. As far as somebody who's been out of the game, don't think for a second that John Gruden has let the game pass him by or let his knowledge of football slip. Uh, I've said this since since day one, as far as John being in a uh, in the broadcast booth. I mean, now all all this does for him as a TV analyst, he has access to all these coaches who he's, he's basically friends with a lot of them, like Sean Payton and guys like that. 
he's now gotten intel with them, sit in with them. What are you looking at? Doing all this stuff. And I guarantee he spent countless, countless hours watching tape, keeping up with all the trends, knowing full well that at some point this was an itch he was going to have to scratch. I think it's a, a brilliant marketing move by the Raiders. And that'll be obviously one of the big storylines. You know, you say everyone knows uh, colleges are about the coaches and the, and the pros are about the players. But John Gruden is one of the few names where you can roll out and you can say, yeah, this is about this is about a coach. You asked if he's worth $100 million. Well, I don't think any coach is probably worth $100 million, but I agree with exactly what Chris said. This is a franchise that has lost its luster. It's getting ready to move to a new city that loves glitz and lost face. And John Gruden, even if he's out of there after three or four years, the initial move to Las Vegas is boosted by him being the head coach. So it's a good move on that part. Uh, the football part of it's very interesting to me because I think the game has changed some. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think going back on what Warren Sapp said, I think John Gruden's going to have to be responsible for coming up with batter in this uh, move. I think he's going <laughs> to have to put the ingredients in the together himself. Uh, they're a team that's on the rise, but the last time I thought about the Raiders was when they lost to Gruden and the Bucks that Super Bowl the year after he left. I mean, I didn't even realize they were still out there. Uh, <laughs> I mean, seriously, when have you last? I mean, when I was growing up, the Raiders, the Dolphins, the Cowboys, the Steelers, those were the teams. The Raiders have just totally fallen off the map. And so, again, it's that's why it's a good move here with them getting ready to move to Las Vegas. But it's it's really – he's trying to do exactly what Dick Vermeil did uh, with the Rams uh, in, what, 99 when he came back, or 97. A guy who was a good coach, had success – didn't win the Super Bowl like Gruden did with the Bucks, but he took a, a team to the Super Bowl with the Eagles. Then he stepped away, burned out, left for 15 years, did TV. Everybody thought he was done. He comes back with the Rams. And uh, you know what? He had a couple of really bad years, and then he found a quarterback named Kurt Warner who changed everything, and they won the Super Bowl. As a matter of fact, I think in Atlanta, right? I was at that uh, game, so I can confirm okay. that that was in Atlanta. Okay, so you, yeah, the Ice Bowl. So they, they win, and, <laughs> and Vermil uh, eventually steps away after that that win, and he he accomplished his feat. And in a lot of ways, what John Gruden's trying to do here uh, is to you know after a very successful TV career, uh, he's making a lot of money. I mean, a lot of people are like, man, why do you want to get back into coaching and get all the headaches that come with that—the media scrutiny, the fan attention? But you know what? <laughs> I would too for hundred million dollars. So yeah, he, uh, he talked about going back and unfinished business. I think was a phrase that he used in the press conference. Adam and I know this for a fact that years after the loss to New England, that would have advanced them and and put them, you know, a, a step closer to the Super Bowl. He was still talking about it wasn't a tough, okay? It wasn't a tough. <laughs> so I mean, I he, I guarantee John Gruden doesn't sleep very much to begin with, but whatever sleep he does get, he he lost some of it over that. And he's still stewing over that. And I think that's what he means by unfinished business. And that that story you just told, Chris, is another reason why this is a good move by the Raiders. He has that little uh, persona. I mean, he plays into that very well. Mm-hmm. Probably as about as any NFL coach. Because these guys are so straight-laced and they look like they're all miserable. You always get the impression Gruden... You know, he plays a role for the camera sometimes, but he's got a mischievous side, which if you've been around him or Tampa, you know that. He likes to have a little fun, and I think his players feed off of that. Plays to his brand, no doubt about it. Spider 2, why banana? Yeah, I love yeah. a good banana. <laughs> no. But that's part of why why I've always liked him. And I mean, you can't deny what he did with the Bucks. He uh, 
he, he was a difference maker there. I just think he's going to have to be a bigger difference maker in uh, Oakland unless uh, Warren Sapp and Derek Brooks and uh, Rondé Barber walk through the door. Well, you guys like John Gruden always play to your brand, and that brand is FloridaGators.com and, of course, on Twitter at GatorsScott at Gators Chris. Encourage people to check out your coverage of gymnastics, of basketball, until we talk again next week. Guys, thank you so much as always. We appreciate it. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, Adam. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Follow the SEC leading Gator basketball squad as they travel to Ole Miss on Saturday before returning home next Wednesday to take on Arkansas. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you at Exact Tech Arena.